The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. We are reading from Acts chapter 18, verse 24, and we're going to move through chapter 19, verse 10. And there are Bibles that are scattered underneath your chairs. It's going to be on page 927. Um, And if you're not going to use that, then you can also use the screen. It'll be posted um, behind me. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and ex- excuse me, and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through, the gra- through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures... That the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were, all, there were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue for three months Excuse me. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is the word of God. So we're uh, in our series on the book of Acts. We've been here since the beginning of the summer, so it's been a while. And we're uh, going to still roll with, with it through Advent as well as we're celebrating the coming of Jesus. And I think it's fitting that we continue to work through the book of Acts because what we saw and what we have seen is that the, the name, the reason that we've called the book of Acts, that are studying the book of Acts, Jesus continued is because Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, also wrote what we now know as as the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke and the, the book of Acts are two parts of one story that he was sending to a person that he knew, Theophilus. And so the first book, uh, the 
Gospel of Luke, what we now call the Gospel of Luke, he says, you know, look, here's the story of Jesus and his life, his death, his burial and resurrection. And it kind of ends there when Jesus is uh, resurrected and he ascends into heaven and he sends the disciples to go wait in Jerusalem to be endued or clothed or filled with power from on high. And then he opens the, his second letter, his second, actually, not just a letter, it's actually a historical account. He opens his second history, a second part history to his friend Theophilus. And he says, now this is a very key statement. He says in the first book, that's the gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So the big theme that we're looking at is where there's lots of little things in the book, themes in the book of Acts, the big thing that we're looking at is that the book of Acts, which is the story of the, the early days of the Christian church, the book of Acts is the story of, the continue, of how Jesus continued his life and ministry through the life and ministry of the believers. Jesus continued his life and ministry through the life and ministry of his believers or the church. Now, what we what we. But we don't mean to say that Jesus continues his life and ministry in that of the church and that continues not just through the book of Acts, but even unbroken to today. What we don't mean when we we don't mean like when we say that uh, like the, the, the vision and ideals of Abraham Lincoln or the vision and de- ideals of Martin Luther King Jr. continue to live on the people that they influence. That, that's In some ways, that's true, right? The ideals that those men and other men and women throughout history represent, like people who have learned and, and uh, studied under them, have been influenced by them, like the, the vision and ideals of great men like Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King Jr. continue on through the people who've been influenced by them. That's, that's not exactly what we mean when we talk that Jesus continues his life and ministry through the life and ministry of the church and the life and ministry of you. If you are here this morning and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he continues his life and ministry through your life and ministry. What we don't mean is that in the way like sort of the vision and, and values and ideals of a man or a woman continue and the people have been influenced. And what we mean is that in very real reality, Jesus continues his life and ministry on earth through you by the power of the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within you if you are a believer. If, if you are a believer in Jesus. So the title for our series is not a throwaway. It is the crux of the difference between Christianity and every other religion or philosophy on earth. In fact, it is the crux of the difference between Christianity and every other way of living that you can think of. In America, we live in sort of a smorgasbord of of ideals and values. You know, we have the major world religions, but kind of what we, kind of the kind of the Western mindset today is like you get to choose what's right for you. And so, what we tend to do is we tend to kind of pick the areas that we like or that we can uh, we can identify with with certain ideals, certain philosophies, certain religions, or just kind of the my own. I kind of make up my own. Like, from ever been to a buffet and then looked at your own plate after you go through a buffet and think that's kind of disgusting. 
disgusting when I look at all the different foods that I pair together. They would never be paired together otherwise. Like you walk through and like, this fried chicken looks good. Oh, oh, look, this scrambled eggs looks good. And I think I'll have a salad as well. And maybe some pot roast. And you, like, you look at somebody else's plate. And you're like, that's disgusting. Why would you eat all those things together? And, but we do that with our own, our own lives. Like we pick up little things in here and there because we like it. And it doesn't make any sense when we put it all together on the plate. There's no congruence when we put it on the plate of our lives. But that's kind of the way that we do. But here's the crux of the difference. So we, you find the way that works for you, and I find the way that works for you, and I find the way that works for me, and we're all going to be happy. But here's the deal. Between all the different variations of the way to live, here's the one crux that separates Christianity from everything else. Is that for the Christian, you have been united with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, now dwells in you if you are a believer. And that changes the entire game. It changes the entire playing field. And that's the point that Luke is king on in our passage this morning. We're going to try to answer three questions Number one, what's different about true Christianity? Number two, what difference does it make to you? And then briefly, what difference does it make to a church? What's different about true Christianity? What difference does it make to you? And then briefly, what difference does it make to a church? First of all, what's different about true Christianity? So we have in this passage is, uh, as we... As uh, Allison started out to read, uh, a man named Apollos shows up in Ephesus. Now, Paul briefly, very briefly, visited the city of Ephesus, but he couldn't stay very long. He was in and out really fast. And in the year between uh, Paul's first visit and the the visit that that she read about here, a man named Apollos shows up. And Apollos shows up and he preaches. Apollos is a very powerful preacher. He's a very very charismatic kind of preacher. He's a very capable communicator. And he he knew about the baptism that John the Baptist preached, the baptism of repentance for sin. And he knew something about Jesus. And so he preached that, hey, John said, you need to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus has come. And we don't really know what he understood or didn't understood about Jesus. But we know that what he didn't understand is that he said that we need to be baptized for repentance of our sins. Was what the uh, what. John the Baptist preached, but he didn't understand exactly how Jesus fit into that. It says that he preached accurately the things of Jesus. So he knew uh, truthfully about Jesus' life and death and maybe even his burial and resurrection as well. But something about that didn't really quite click with him, but he was a powerful preacher and he came when he was preaching and now in a very cool way, the two leaders in the local, the, in, the, in the city of Ephesus, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they pull him aside. Now this is a very great, uh, just a, this is the point of the sermon, but this is a great uh, lesson for all of us. Whenever Apollos was publicly preaching uh, an, an incomplete word to the people in the city of Ephesus, uh, Priscilla and Quilla, they didn't post on Facebook about how wrong he was. 
They didn't go on a Twitter tirade about what a terrible man he was. They didn't post a YouTube video about the five ways Apollos was wrong and why you shouldn't go to Apollos' church. It says they pulled him aside and then the, the wording of that, of the actual original language there makes us think that they actually, when they pulled him aside, they actually invited him over to their house. They said, hey, Apollos, man, I really appreciate what you're doing. Why don't you come have coffee or probably had dinner with us over at our house and let's, let's talk about some things. And they pulled Apollos to the side, have him to the house and explained to him more fully the way of Jesus. And it rocked and just, it, it rocked Apollos' world. It filled in all the dots that he didn't have filled in. And he decides he needs to go to a different region to preach about this Jesus that he now understands more fully and more accurately. And something inside him is motivating him to go and proclaim this good news. Because here's the deal. If you have ever tasted the, good, the, the glory of Jesus Christ, if you've ever understood who he was and what he has done on your behalf, if you ever understood who he is today, seated at the right hand of the Father, and who he is today, if you are a believer by his spirit in your life, it is good news to you and you want people to know it and you want people to understand it. You want people to hear it and it compelled Apollos to go to the next region. So Apollos goes over to, uh, we learn later, they go to the city of Corinth and Achaia and preaches the gospel in a powerful way there. And then uh, and later on, Paul shows up. And when Paul shows up, he goes and he starts to, the way that Paul would do it is he would go to the local Jewish synagogue. So people who were believing the Old Testament, that's all that they had at the time and they believed that uh, there was one true God, it's the God of the Bible and that there is, he's holy and mankind is sinful. And so therefore he has given us these laws that tell us who he is and how we should live our lives. And so he shows up to the synagogue with like-minded people who are worshiping and trying to follow after this God. And he would share the gospel. He said, look, you understand about who God is and you understand that you're sinful and you understand that uh, this is the way that you need to live your life. But here's the deal. You don't live your life that way. Jesus came and he's the Messiah who has come to be the ultimate payment for all your sins. And he's the one that you've been waiting for. And by putting your faith and trust in him, you can receive the promised spirit that God has been promising throughout the Old Testament to, to put in you. In fact, so all through the whole Testament, God is saying, hey, this is my word. This is who I am. This is how you should live your life. But one day I'm going to send the spirit to you. He will be in your heart and he will write my word in your heart and I will be with you and I will be in you and I will be among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the great promise that God had been promising throughout the Old Testament. And Paul would go in the synagogue and he would, he would make this argument to the people that were there. And somewhere in this process, he meets, uh, I don't know if it's in the synagogue or afterwards, but he's, he's meeting there for three months. It was actually really good for Saul because, uh, for Paul because he would get uh, chased out of synagogues very quickly. He was a very unpopular pastor in the synagogue circuit. And so he would come in and preach. He would cause an uproar. He would get chased out of the synagogue really fast. But he's here, he's staying for three months. And he said he shares and he meets these 12 disciples. And he, as he kind of gets around them, like he, like they, they're kind of speaking the same language as he is. They're kind of living holy lives. They're talking about repentance and they're talking about God. And he's like, oh man, I think I found some other Christians here at Ephesus. And he gets around them. The, the more he's around them, something starts to like 
raise his eyebrows as he's around them. We don't know exactly exactly what he was, but as he's hanging out around these 12 uh, people who are hanging out with the Christians, he ends up asking them two questions that are very important questions because, because he sees something about their their lives, about the way that they're, they're living, about what they're saying. that just isn't quite like they're, they're, they're speaking most of the language, but it's not all there. So he asks two very important and very clarifying questions. And these are two important questions for us this morning. Let's look again. If you have your Bible, Acts 19. Verse 1, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And then Paul knew what was going on here. He asked two very important questions. He asked, first of all, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? To Paul, this was the leading indicator of whether you were a Christian or not. I think this is very important to us. Because, have you ever, I've asked this question before, but do you you work around somebody or live beside somebody or have somebody in your family or maybe you're this person who like professes to be a Christian. They're involved in church. They know the language. They, they carry a Bible in their car. Like they, like they have all like, like they have a K-Love sticker on the back of their car. Like, you know, like they're, they're, like they're identified as a Christian in your family or in your workplace or wherever. But, but there's just something about the way that they live that makes you think, look, if you're a Christian, take the bumper sticker off your car because I don't want you to advertise this to anybody else. Because your life, your deportment, you have no joy, you have no hope, you have no peace in your life. You're kind of cranky. Uh, You're more concerned about being right. Uh, You're you're more concerned about being a part of like a a culture of Christianity. You're more concerned about being a part of a a Christian voting block or a a particular, uh, uh, like like you just like to look down on the people around you who aren't living the way that you live. Like, Like there's something about... About them that just doesn't quite, quite jive. Ever been around somebody like that, and you're in your family or your coworker, or maybe you're that person, and you wonder, like, how man, if somebody is a Christian and they're like they they buy into all this stuff and they're a part of church and they're part of this culture, like like how come their life doesn't look like they are actually like more like Jesus, or maybe you live around or work around or have somebody in your family or you're this person who you profess Jesus but your life looks exactly like you don't look down the people around you you're running with everybody else around you like you profess like you go to church you've got the sticker you've been baptized like you're a part of the club but your life doesn't look any different than it did five years ago one year ago, 10 years ago, your life looks no different from your friends and your family members who are not believers. 
Paul's first question to somebody to see if they were a Christian or not was, have you received the Holy Spirit? That's the first question. It's not, hey, do you believe in the Bible? Do you attend church? Have you been baptized? Have you received the Holy Spirit? That is the ultimate test of whether you or someone else is a believer or not. To be a Christian is to experience the Spirit coming into your heart and life just like he came on the day of Pentecost to the believers who were gathered there. The point of religion is to be right. The point of Christianity is to be united to God. Not in some figurative way, but to really experientially in your heart and soul and in your life to experience the difference that happens when you are united to God, when his Holy Spirit, when the dividing wall between you and God is broken down and you experience fellowship and relationship with him through and by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is the point of Christianity. Have you received the Holy Spirit, he asked them. And then he asked them, into whose name were you baptized? When they said we were baptized uh, in John's baptism, which John preached that there is a God and uh, you're a sinner, and so therefore you need to repent before the eyes of God. Paul said John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is, Jesus. Into whose name were you baptized? Now, the, to be baptized, uh, there was a, a rite of baptism in the Jewish, uh, in the Jewish uh, religion. To be baptized was to acknowledge that you were sinful. It was to be have a repentant heart. It was a sign of repentance between you and God. It was an acknowledgement of your guilt, an acknowledgement that there is such a thing as right and wrong, which is really the first step to become a believer, if you can divide it into steps, is to, is to, is to figure out and to acknowledge and to experience the truth that there is a God. And because there is a God, there is a right and wrong. And that right and wrong is above me. I don't get to choose what is right and what is wrong. He chooses what is right and wrong. I don't get to make that call. It's a call that's objective and above me. There is such a thing as right and wrong. And so the baptism of John that they were talking about was acknowledgement of that. But it simply stopped there. And that's where religion stops. Religion says there is a God. So therefore there is a right and wrong. And so therefore you better be better. Right? Religion says there is a God, therefore there is a right and wrong. He makes that call. And because there's a God and there is a right and wrong, then like you are in trouble if you're on the wrong side because there is an almighty God over you. And so therefore, you better be better. And that's where religion stops. 
And so oftentimes whenever you look around and you see people or you're that person who's claiming the name Christian, but there's no, there's either a lack of joy and experience of fullness of a life in the Holy Spirit, or your life looks like every single other person around you who does not claim Christ is because you've, you've stopped at religion. There is a God and there is a right and there is a wrong. And so therefore I better be better. And so you've experienced what the, like these 12 disciples in Ephesus have experienced. They knew there was a God. They knew there's right and wrong. And so therefore, man, we need to repent and try to do better around him. But Christianity goes further and it goes deeper. Christianity, because it's the story of Jesus. It's a story that you and I could not be better. And so therefore, Jesus came and was better for you and for me. You and I could not pay the penalty that we deserve by all the sin that we, even if you were perfect from this point forward, all the sin that you've done in the past, you could not overcome that sin and pay that penalty apart from eternal death and eternal damnation separated from God. And so therefore Jesus came and paid the penalty that you had to pay in order to be united to God and made right. To be baptized in the name of Jesus was to acknowledge Jesus as the recipient of our repentance. Therefore, Jesus is God. He shows, he's the one who shows us the nature and character of God. To be baptized in the name of Jesus is to show that you are trusting in Jesus to cleanse you of your sin. You're accepting that you cannot be better and therefore he, he was better for me and I'm trusting as I, so the picture of baptism as I'm being baptized is I'm, God, I'm trusting that you are the one who was better for me and so therefore I am raised again to newness of life trusting that you paid that penalty for me. To be baptized in the name of Jesus is to identify with Jesus, is to, is to be buried with Jesus in baptism, to be raised Raised again to newness of life. We identify ourselves with Jesus. What we're saying is, God, I'm putting all my chips in, trusting that Jesus is the way and that there is no other way. I'm putting all my chips in. Paul asked them this question because there was something in their behavior, something in their bearing that made him think that even though they acknowledge God, acknowledge the need of repentance, acknowledge that there existed right and wrong, that they had only stopped there and had not received the gift of the Holy Spirit in their life, which is what it means to be born again. And there are hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of creatures, creatures of people across the country in churches at this very moment, singing the right songs, reading the right Bible, speaking the right language, but there's no quantified or qualitative difference in their lives because they buy into the culture of Christianity, but they've never been born again. They've never been, they've never received the Holy Spirit, which makes all the difference in the world. 
Paul could not imagine a church looking like that. To him, the deciding factor if someone was a Christian or not was whether they had received the Holy Spirit and exhibited the kind of life that we exhibit when we have received the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? What difference does it make to you whenever you have received the Holy Spirit? First of all, it provides us a personal and direct relationship with God. A personal and direct relationship with God. Um, hero of mine, Jonathan Edwards, he's the, um, I named my, our son Landon, his middle name is named after Jonathan Edwards. He talked about how when if someone is born again, they experience a, a unity with the Holy Spirit of God in ways that we really can't explain. But that you know it when you've experienced it. But when you're standing outside, it doesn't make any sense to you. It, he described it as the difference between, uh, you guys know I, I love food. So, just, so, so Dale and I were in, when we were in Atlanta, uh, we we had we ate well. We, we that's one thing we did. We slept and we ate well, and we saw LeBron, and that was our forty year old uh, you know weekend. And but but so we the the last uh, evening that we were there, we maddeningly for Dale walked around you know the air the neighborhood trying to find some place to eat, and there were too long wait, or we were both indecisive, and we finally found a place, and we, we sat down, and uh, they brought us. They brought us out our food, and, and, and they, they, made this, they made this steak that was cooked absolutely perfectly, but they, they forgot to bring us, the restaurant forgot to bring us the steak knife. All we had was our butter knife. That's all we needed. It just, it just slid through the meat with the butter knife. And you put it in your mouth, it would just like, it would, it would explode with flavor, but it would just kind of, the meat itself would kind of melt in your mouth. They had this bread that was this crusty kind of round loaf that was real crusty on the outside, but then you would break it and it was like soft inside, but it wasn't soft like it just like disappears. It was like soft and chewy. And they had this, I don't know, I really don't understand how one butter can be different from another butter. They had this butter that was just like, it, it, would, it would make like fireworks go off in in your brain as you as you tasted it it just melt it was melted so perfectly with the meat they uh, they had this even the salad was absolutely amazing they they the, for dessert uh, some people sitting beside us who are regulars that said that you have to try the Kit Kat bars like they do this homemade like Kit Kat bar dessert they bring it out and it's like the, it was it was chocolatey. It was, it was awesome. It just kind of melted in your mouth. Again, it was amazing. Now, I've described in very uh, graphic detail to you our meal. But you didn't experience it. If you leave here, you can probably tell somebody what Dale and I had for dinner that night. But you can't tell them what it was like to sit there in that environment and actually put that piece of steak in my mouth and taste it. There's a, a wide different, you could probably, you could, if I describe the meal to you well enough, 
You and I could both probably fill out a quiz as to what Dale and I ate that night with equal clarity. But there would be a world of difference in our experiences. And that's the difference between hearing about hearing about God and experiencing a personal, direct relationship with him in your soul of souls. You taste him. You experience him in ways that no one can convey to you with words if you haven't experienced it yourself. And it's not my experience. It's personal and direct to you. With your own personality and your own background and your own weaknesses and your own fears and your own frailties and your own gifts and your own, all of that together, God meets you right where you are. And your experience will be, they'll have many similarities, but yet it will have some things that are slightly different between us. And that's the way any relationship is, right? No one knows Megan better than I do. And yet there are some people who are around Megan who bring out different parts of her personality than I bring out. It's the beautiful thing about personalities and people. I don't experience more of Megan when I have her to myself. I experience more of Megan when I live in rich community with her, with other people around her who are pulling elements of her personality out that I've never seen before. You experience uh, personally and directly to your soul a, a sense of God's personal care and love for you. Now, that's easy to, to just run over because in our society, we kind of think that if there is a God, then, of course, he, like, personally cares and loves for me. Because that's what, like, of course, he, I'm in the center of the universe. Of course, he personally cares and loves for me. But if he is a holy God and I am not, it, if it took Jesus to unite us together again and to pay the penalty that I had coming to me, then for me to be personally Cared for and loved by that almighty creator God is something worthy of infinite wonder and worship. To experience a personal and direct relationship to God is to experience direct access to your maker. You can personally communicate with the one who made you. Not only just you. But every other human on the planet, every single rock and tree and river and star and universe and black hole and atom, he created it all. So, so what does it mean that I have access to that guy? I have access to limitless power and joy to him. To experience a personal and direct relationship with him is to experience an assurance in my soul, in your soul, of your status as God's beloved child. 
that when we talk about how you were you're baptized, you identify with Jesus, you're raised again with him. That means just as he said, this is my beloved son, just as he said that about his son, he says that about you. Not because you're awesome or because of your great track record, but because of him. But because of him, he says that about you. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. And to you experience a personal assurance of that. It means that we experience a change of our motives and desires. When we are received the Holy Spirit, we're baptized into Jesus. And we are experience a change of our motives and our desires at our very core. We see the beauty of the glory of God. The glory of God is threatening to anyone who is not in right standing with God. But when you are made in right standing with God by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you, then you see his glory as beautiful. You experience the beauty of the glory of God and you feel a deep desire within you that God be glorified in your life. Not, not that God would be glorified like, a, like you look in a, 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 a microscope to make something that's small bigger, but you desire God to be glorified in your life like a telescope because he is awesome and amazing like the amazing things that we see in the, in the sky at night through a telescope, and we, but we want him to be made beautiful and amazing and shown to be that big to the people around us. We desire that he would be glorified in our lives. And we experience a joy in submission to him as Jesus is Lord. If you receive the Holy Spirit, then you receive an empowerment to live life differently. You receive a power. Not a power from out of yourself. Not a self-will. Not a self-determination. Not a pulling up yourself by bootstraps. You experience a change of your very soul. We still have sinful desires. But the change of my very soul is I desire to turn away from sin. And I experience, maybe up and down at times, but I experience for the first time a power to turn away from sin. It comes from the the power of the Holy Spirit in you, I experienced a power to live, a power, a power to live life less and less selfishly than I have been. That takes a power, right? Because by nature, we are incredibly selfish creatures. We are seeking our own ends all the time. But over time, I experienced a power to do that less and less and less. And as I look back in my life over time, I see a change in my character. I see things coming out of my life, the, the, what Paul called the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. I see all those things bubbling out of my life that I don't get to take any credit for because I don't know how it got there except by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive wisdom and guidance from God. The Spirit enlivens the Bible so that you see it as the word of your 
God. Not just the word of God, but the word of your God. And it's not some outside thing, but it's all of a sudden is enlivened and enlightened to you. You desire it, even though at times <laughs> we put it down and we forget it and, and we feel condemned by it. Like it keeps drawing us back. And when we open it again and someone preaches the gospel or, or, or we listen to a sermon, like it, it speaks to our soul life to us. We experience the word as authoritative and life-giving. The spirit leads and guides us in ways that you can't explain. Have you ever experienced like the, where the spirit of God speaks to your soul? You just know, I need to go talk to this person, or I don't need to do this anymore. I need to go into a different direction, and you can't really explain it. God, the Holy Spirit of God, a proof, a change that it makes in you is that the Holy Spirit of God leads and guides you directly in your heart and soul. And also, and this is a great piece to the Christian, you experience that he leads and guides you through the, actively to the circumstances around you. You've experienced that. You're trying hard to go one way. And that just, you, God, like, you didn't know it was God that closed the door at first. You're like, you got frustrated and you go another way. And you're like, oh man, that was you, God. You didn't let me go that way. You experience, it's a great peace to the Christian that you experience. Not only his inner leading and guiding and his leading and guiding you for the scripture, but you experience through actual circumstances around you, his active loving guidance and care in your life to lead you. When you receive the spirit, you receive a desire and power to join Jesus in his mission. You gain a new heart of compassion for those who aren't believers yet. You didn't care before what somebody believed. Or maybe you cared before about what somebody believed because you just wanted to be right. And you wanted to have them on your side or you wanted to condemn them because they weren't on your side. But all of a sudden you have compassion for those who aren't believers yet. All of a sudden you find a, a power and a compassion in your soul for those who have less. Those who are suffering, those who are hurting. You see the Spirit operate in your conversations and your actions. Have you experienced that? Maybe you're talking with somebody who's not a believer, and all of a sudden the, relation, the conversation goes somewhere, and you're like, man, that wasn't me. Or it's so sweet when you're sitting with another believer or sitting with some believers in community group and you're talking and all of a sudden there's that, you know what I mean if you're a believer, there's that, that sense, that presence. He's here and, and he's leading and he's guiding this conversation. And you get to be a part of that. When you receive the spirit, you gain a new meaning for your education and your vocation. Before your education or your vocation, your job was just about setting yourself up to make more money or to be more content or to get the light company off your back. But all of a sudden, you see that the way that I pursue my education, the way that I pursue my vocation 
And the, and the long-term reason behind it has changed. It's to glorify God in it. So here's our questions. Is, is this your experience in life? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And secondly, into what name were you baptized? And what we mean by that is, who are you trusting for your salvation? Are you trusting you being good? Are you being happy? Or are you trusting that he, that he paid a debt that you owe to God that you could not owe and that he is Lord and Savior and you are not? And then, if this has been your experience, this kind of life, the question that we all have to ask this morning is, is it still? Have, have you received the Spirit of God and tasted the Spirit-filled life only to turn around and live like you hadn't? I can't think of... I can think of only a few things sadder than that. To be a Christian and to have experience, to have received the Holy Spirit of God and to now be in a place where I live like I had. And if you are, if that's where you are, own that. Live up to that, own that. And here's... The follow-up question I'd like to ask you, and it's not something I can answer for you here. Something I think you need to wrestle with. Maybe have somebody pray with you this morning. If that is you, and you have received the Spirit of God, you've tasted the Spirit-filled life, and you're living like you haven't, then what lie are you believing about, A, yourself, and what lie are you believing about Jesus? What lie are you believing about yourself? And what lie are you believing about Jesus? Because it's definitely based on those two things. And lastly and quickly, as I said, what difference does it make for a church? Well, you see, a church is a collection of people who have experienced and are experiencing this kind of life. It's called the Christian life, or you could call it the spirit-filled life. And look at what happens when a group of people together live this spirit-filled life. Look at verses 8 through 10, and we'll, we will complete, we'll be done with this. We'll wrap it up. And he, that's Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. When you have not just one man, but a collection of people living the spirit-filled life, 
God can and will do amazing things through them. Here's what we know. All the people in the province of Asia, this is a Roman province, they didn't hear the word of the Lord because Paul went to every town and village and house in the province of Asia. He was daily in the hall of Tyrannus. All of Asia heard about the word of the Lord because people scattered from the city of Ephesus to tell the good news that they had experienced and they were experiencing then. They scattered through work. As their work took them places, they scattered as their education took them places, they scattered as their family business took them places, they scattered on purpose in order to tell people who had not heard, but they scattered because you had a church in the city of Ephesus who were living the spirit-filled life, and therefore all of the province heard the word. This is true Christianity. Is this what we're experiencing? Is this what you're experiencing? If not, let's do the hard, hard work that we need so that we can get there personally. And let's not accept anything less personally and as a church. And let's see what God can and will do here and in your family, and in your neighborhood, and in your workplace, and in our community, in our region, for his glory alone. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.